Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. It is Friday, my dudes, which I know is not the meme. I know it's Wednesday, my dudes, but it's Friday here on The Brian Nichols Show because you know 6 a.m. every Friday morning you are getting a brand new episode of The Brian Nichols Show dropped right into your podcast catcher. And yes, I am your humble host, Brian Nichols, here on The Brian Nichols Show. And guys, thank you again for joining us here uh, for another fun-filled episode. We're going to have some more interesting conversations with mostly interesting people. Sorry, Matt Kibbe had to steal your uh, your line there from Kibbe on Leader, uh, Liberty, which is also a great podcast over on the Blaze Radio Network. Um, cannot recommend that enough. And actually, good friend of the show, Max Golker from AIER made an appearance uh, over on Kibbe on Liberty this past week, so be sure to go ahead and check that out, but also Max Golker was, he, he's been busy, Max has been very busy lately, and he also made an appearance recently on my good friend, Mark Clare's show, Lions of Liberty, and I said, you know what, Mark Clare got my guest on his show, so I'm going to get Mark Clare back on my show, damn it, and that's what I did, so today I'm joined by Mark Clare from Lions of Liberty, and Mark is easily one of the most recognizable voices in the Liberty movement, his show has been growing uh, by leaps and bounds, and I cannot... Uh, I recommend their podcast enough. Um, all three episodes they do over the Lines of Liberty Network are phenomenal. Um, so I, again, number one, I'm going to include the link to Lines of Liberty. You got to go ahead and check those guys out. Um, but also, I, with Mark on the show today, Mark is out in California, and the uh, Libertarian Party of California just recently had their uh, their convention, I believe it is. Uh, and with that, they had uh, one of the uh, the newer uh, presidential debates between the Libertarian Party candidates. And, and amongst those candidates, we have folks like uh, you know former guests in the show, Adam Kokesh and Jacob Hornberger, and then some some newer faces and some names are going to be appearing in the Brian Nichols show like Joe Jorgensen and and Lincoln Chafee. So uh, with that being said, Mark is on the show today to uh, really dig through, uh, number one, what he experienced being out there in the uh, the Libertarian Party of uh, California's debate um, and kind of get, you know, what his perspective is in terms of how the Libertarian Party is going to do going into uh, 2020, especially with this crop of candidates that are uh, leading the charge here as we go forward to the general election. So returning to the Brian Nichols Show and ready to roar, Mark Clare here on the Brian Nichols Show. Hey, Brian, I am indeed ready to roar. Roar. (laughs) Well, Roar, there you are, and, and uh, definitely glad to have you back in the show, Mark, because, I mean, I tried to get you in the show multiple times over the past, I don't know how many months, but you were just so busy over at Lions of Liberty that you, you now here we are finally in, in February getting together. So what's been going on over at Lions of Liberty since we last spoke that's kept you so busy lately? I guess I must be doing something right if I'm getting hard to book, right? That's right. Absolutely. It's not a bad thing. Yeah, it's not It's not all Lions of Liberty that keeps me busy. I do have a, uh, a real job, as, as they say, and a, uh, a freelance career on top of that real job, and then a podcast on top of that job, uh, as not well as, you know, all. real life things, girlfriend, dog, all, all the normal stuff that people, that some people have. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, gonna be pretty tight. I, I live by, I live and die by the schedule. So, uh, and I try to leave myself a little free time in there somewhere, but free time usually just ends up, uh, me, my, my quote unquote free time turns into me writing up a podcast description or just <laughs> uploading some audio. I'll tell myself, Oh, I'll just, I'll just do a little audio uploading. This will still count as, as free time. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you, but I think it's, it's fair to say that just since we last spoke, Lions of Liberty, you guys have been taking off. I mean, I'm listening to the Reason Roundtable with Nick Gillespie and Matt Welch and, and Kath, uh, Catherine Mangu Ward and Patrick Suderman. And also I hear an ad for Lions of Liberty. 
And I'm thinking like, wow, okay, like, you know, Lions of Liberty making moves and you guys are doing great work. I mean, what, what's been your secret? What's the secret sauce? Well, unfortunately, I wish I could tell people that there is just a secret sauce out there that you could just chug down and your podcast <laughs> will just explode and explode. But the fact is there is no such thing in podcasting. I'm sure if you have discovered this as well by now, there is no easy reward in podcasting. There is no quick payout. Uh, even if you're a big name, I mean, even, even if you're someone that starts as a, as a name like Joe Rogan, it, it took him to be years to become one of the biggest podcasters. He may even be the biggest, biggest podcast in the world. And he started with a name. That's, that's the only reason he even developed that initial following. Uh, so it really does take hard work and it, and really more, most importantly, showing up every single day or in our case, uh, three days a week with our three different shows. Uh, but it's all about consistency and really continuing to strive on and continuing to show up each and every time your fans or someone expects you to be there because uh, that is the difficult part of podcasting is is getting motivated to do an interview or to uh, post an episode or to edit some audio when you don't feel like it. Anybody can do it when you're feeling great and you don't feel like it and you <laughs> feel like talking. But if you have to want to be consistent and you want to have your show out every week or three times a week or whatever it may be, you got to be consistent. And that means ultimately doing some things when you don't feel like doing them. <laughs> and I think the three of us, I mean, <clears throat> myself, along with Brian McWilliams, who's the host of Electric Liberty Land, as well as John Odermatt, who hosts Felony Friday, which I think in many ways is our most important show, at least in terms of of outreach, because it's, it's very apolitical. It's really just about many specific stories of, of people who face the criminal justice system and have been able to overcome a lot of challenges. So I think that's a, it's a really inspiring show that can draw people in that not, don't necessarily need to have a predilection towards the ideas of liberty, but hopefully they hear those stories and then go, oh, well, maybe if they're they're so passionate about this one issue, maybe I should see what else they're talking about. Yeah. Uh, but but, but um, I'm, I'm getting slightly diverted from the topic. The topic, uh, that being just uh, what our secret is. But yeah, it's, it's really hard work. <laughs> hard work. And, and to me, our secret is really our listeners and our fans because they have enabled us to do everything we've been able to do over the years. Uh, as of maybe three years ago, our podcast had no budget. It was just whatever the three of us chipped in. Uh, three years before that, that, there was even less of a budget because it was just me. Uh, I made a business decision to bring John and Brian in as sort of co-owners of the show uh, at one point because I just, I just couldn't do it all myself anymore. I couldn't grow it the way I wanted to with my own you know, finances at the time. Right. Uh, so uh, and that turned out to be the best decision I ever made because I think they bring something so incredibly unique to the table. Uh, but the fact that the three of us go out of our way, oh, we all have busy lives. I mean, Brian just had a kid. Uh, John's got got a couple year old kid. I have two Huskies. That's kind of like one human. Uh, we all have a lot, <laughs> lot going on. And uh, we, but we fi always find a way to make it work, even if one of us can't do an episode. I mean, one time I had a, a major technical problem. Uh, I crashed my computer. It, this is Sunday afternoon at this point. There's no way I was going to be able to get it fixed. And and John got got together and whipped something together to make sure that there's something still aired uh, in our Monday slot. And then, you know, Brian just had a kid. He wasn't available on a Tuesday night. You know, his wife is giving birth. That's when he records the show every time. So we had uh, John hop on uh, with one of, our, one of our other contributors, Howie Snowden, and they did an episode on the fly and it still aired on time. I mean, it's really all about always finding a way to get it done uh, despite what life throws at you and despite, you know, whatever scheduling problems you might have or whatever difficulties may come up. And you're only going to be able to do that if you're super, super passionate about what you're talking about. I mean, yep. if this was just something we, oh, we kind of are into, we don't really care that much. I mean, we're not going to go out of our way to, to show up every three days a week. We're not going to go out of our way to make sure there's always an episode when we say there is. Uh, and I, but I think that that secret uh, is, so to speak, of having these fans that have motivated us to do that at the same time. I mean, if, if the show just stayed at 40, 40 downloads an episode, uh, I probably would have lost that motivation pretty quickly <laughs> at, at some point or not, not quickly, I should say. But if it was still this way six years later, then, then you know, I, I might not be so motivated. 
forbid to keep doing it. But uh, the fact is the show has grown surely but steadily over those six years because we do keep showing up and our fans have shown us the money, so to speak. Our, our fans, our fans have, you know, we started to take, started a Patreon because people started asking, Hey, how can we give you money? You know, it's like, okay, well, if people are, are literally messaging me during the day asking, how can I send you guys money? Perhaps it's time to figure that out. So we started, I think we've only had the Patreon for about two years, uh, but we just passed over $1,500 a month on Patreon, which is just Wild. amazing. That's I mean, awesome. so incredibly flattering. And uh, it's, it enables us to do so much. It enables us to buy ads on other p- podcasts. I mean, the reason podcast is a big reach. In the past, we've advertised on some other libertarian shows like Part of the Problem and, and Tom Woods. But I think their shows occupy sort of one area of libertarianism in, right. in, a, sort of, in a sort of sense. So we wanted to kind of get to sort of reach out to um, sort of a different libertarian audience with the, with the Reason uh, podcast and the Reason Roundtable. I think they they kind of a, reach just a sort of different sort of libertarian, whatever that may mean. And uh, we're just trying to become more and more of the podcast where it doesn't necessarily matter what quote unquote type of libertarian you are. We think you're always going to be able to get something from it. It doesn't mean you'll agree with our points of view. doesn't mean you'll agree with the points of view uh, with our guests, but we're, we're always coming at things in different angles and trying to look at things in different ways and uh, trying to find audiences of, of different ilk, so to speak. So yeah. uh, we keep on plugging away and we keep on roaring. That, that's the secret <laughs> if there is one. Well, and really, I mean, if, if we're going to say there is a real secret and the secret is hard work. I mean, I mean you, you really, you, yeah. you t- capped it off there perfectly. And in, you were talking about like the different points of view. I mean, I listened to uh, your most recent show you had there with Max Gulker from AIER and Max been a reoccurring guest here in the Brian Nichols show. And he's a, he's a great person to talk to. And I love the fact that when you spoke to Max, you actually asked him specifically about him coming from more of the left and finding his way over to libertarianism. And I, I, I'm a big fan of telling these stories. I mean, Chris over at the, we are libertarians channel right now is doing a path to libertarianism um, special. And basically he's interviewing, uh, you know, more prominent names in the Liberty movement and, and trying to learn, you know, how did you get to where you are? Because it is so important to hear, you know, you're, you know, if you're just a random listener, to hear your story and, and to say, okay, you know, it doesn't matter if I, I didn't come from the right or if I didn't come from the left, you know, because I, I can hear people who, you know, they found their, their way despite not being where, you know, it seems like the, the stereotypical libertarian comes from, which, you know, I would dare say, you know, it's not too far to say most libertarians at least started, you know, with a little bit more sympathy towards the, the right. I mean, you know, the, the Republican side of things, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, um, but it's good to, to tell our stories, again, to help people realize it's okay if we don't, all don't have the same story, but we can see, you know, the similarities, and I think it helps us feel more confident that, you know, despite these maybe insecurities we have leaving this ideology, all we've known our, our lives being you know, on the left or the right or, or apathetic, now we actually have a real alternative going forward. Oh, sorry. You just cut out right, right at the end there. Did you ask? <laughs> no, no, no. I said, I said no. It basically, long story short, is that to tell a story, it, it helps people be able to realize that your story, though it may be super unique, there's at least some people who they've had similar experiences, and then you can at least you know see the the um the value of their story in your your own your own self and it kind of helps you feel more reassured as, as you go through this liberty journey that it's not all going to be this you know sunshine and rainbows like you're going to read it the first right, time right. and get it 100 percent. that yeah sometimes it takes a little bit of a transition and sometimes you know what was the old expression how do you eat an elephant one one bite at a time and and that's something <laughs> right. that i think a lot of people have have you know, started to accept more and telling our stories and having the platforms like what you guys do at Lions Liberty, you know, and you're in reaching more people and, you know, regardless of the type of libertarian, I mean, hey, it's different people. And, and at the very least in our own movement, we can reach some people maybe we haven't really talked to before. 
Right. And that was actually the subject of a talk that I gave at the Libertarian Party State Convention uh, out here in California this past weekend. Uh, I gave a talk kind of uh, well, the title of it was what I've learned from you know, interviewing hundreds of libertarians. <clears throat> and basically, I went through um, the different pathways that people take to becoming a libertarian. Some people it's it's very rare, but some people are born into a libertarian family and they learn the stuff from the beginning. Others come from the right, sort of the former Republicans slash neocons. Others are, are more the bleeding hearts and come from the progressive side or even the former communists in the case of someone like Walter Block, uh, who m many people would be shocked to hear actually began in politics as a communist, a rabid communist. And mm -hmm. it was only through debate, debating people like Ayn Rand and Nathaniel Brandon that he came all the way way past where they were and, and became, you know, a hard, the most hardcore libertarian that any of us probably even know. What an experience uh, so, it must have been, though. I mean, like, to, to just imagine sitting there and actually debating with Ayn Rand. I mean, it's it, a, a something about communists, too. That's the wildest part. Yeah, his, his story is incredible. I think it was actually episode. Well, I don't think I actually know because I was just looking the stuff up last, last weekend. It was my ninth episode ever that I interviewed uh, Walter Block about. Um, actually, did I flip that around? Was it was it six? It was either nine or six. Either way, <laughs> one of one of those is Glenn Jacobs and one of those is uh, is uh, Walter Block. So either way, go back and listen to my very early episodes, except don't because uh, I'm a little bit embarrassed of my hosting back then. It's always it's always uh, cringy when you go back and listen to old episodes. I had Arvin Vora back on my show back, oh, probably June, July. And um, I was actually having him on because he was discussing his candidacy. But, you know, I, I actually, my, my second episode I ever did was about Arvin Vora. And I, I it was at the time he was doing the, the whole, you know, the, the almost like crude marketing. Um, that was a kind of his right. approach. And uh, basically I started, you know, asking a bunch of questions. About, and, you know, I had to listen back though, to my first episode. And, you know, again, it was the second episode I ever did. And just listening to myself, I was like, oof, like... Thank God you grow <laughs> and thank God and thank God you can learn from like the mistakes yeah, and, and failures and stuff. It doesn't always need to be six years ago. Basically, if I, if I ever go to a show that I've done that's more than a year old, I cringe because I think I think who we are in not who we are at, a, at its core, but uh, just the way we approach things, the way we talk, it's constantly changing. It's constantly affected by the people around us. So anytime you go a little too far back, you always sound just a little different. Like I'll say things like, oh, I wouldn't say that now. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't say something like that, uh, even if it's just something really minor or just the way I would phrase something. Uh, right. I, I'm always cringing at, at my past self, but I think that's a good thing. It means we're always improving or always, well, maybe not, maybe we're not always uh, changing for the better, but I like to think <laughs> we're always improving. Uh, and we should cringe a little bit when we look back on our past self and see it not as refined or see it taking a position that we wouldn't take now. Cause that means we're always self-evaluating and, you know, always, always getting better. Or maybe our voice is just changing in some weird way as, as we get older. Oh yeah. Well, it's funny. Like I'll listen to Tom Woods and he'll do like a, a throwback episode from like 2008. And I'm like, you know, it, you know, it's Tom Woods. But it's almost like you're listening to a, a different version of Tom Woods, like like, a, like a, almost like an artificial intelligent version of Tom Woods, because it just right, doesn't. Right. It, there's a little bit off in the voice, and and you know it's interesting to to think just you know take that and put it on a greater scale. Like our generation, we're pretty much like the first generation that we're going to be able to really like watch ourselves evolve because everything we've been doing has been pretty much, you know, documented right. online. And like, you yeah. know, I, I think one thing that's always, you know, cool for me is looking back at like my time hops and stuff and just seeing where I was, you know, just 10 years oh, ago. Oh, I hate those. I hate those Facebook memories, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing. I hate them, but I'm I like, who the same is time. that little loser? Why is he wearing that hat? And my God, that's me. Ugh. <laughs> 
And well, it shows us at least where you know where we came from. It, it, it's a constant reminder, again, what you mentioned of always growing and stuff. And uh, if this is not a bad segue, I don't know what it is. Uh, talking about always growing is <laughs> talking about the LP. The Libertarian Party is always trying to reach new voters. Um, and that starts with us getting a, the, the best presidential candidate we can possibly get. So uh, you were out in uh, California where you're, you're headquartered and uh, you had the chance, Mark, to go to the uh, Libertarian Party uh, State Convention for California. And I know there's a lot of uh, potential nominees there for, uh, for the LP presidential uh, nomination who are looking to uh, get some delegates their, uh, their support. So tell us kind of what's uh, what was your experience when you were out there, you know, from the delegates, kind of from the candidates you got to speak to, uh, you know, being a uh, year on the ground. Sure. Well, lucky for me, uh, this was very close by. I was at the Doubletree in Culver City, which is about uh, 1.8 miles from my house. So it was very conveniently located. So it made the decision to go really, really, really easy for me. Uh, but um, <clears throat> I was able to, let's see, well, I was there for a couple days and uh, the whole convention was four days. I did not attend every minute of all four days because here, here's the thing about Libertarian Party politics. What I really enjoy is talking about liberty, talking about ideas, meeting people. Uh, I guess what you call the more the more social aspects of these things. What I really don't have as much interest in are uh, going through a million different bylaws and listening to people want to change one word of one sentence and then change the next word of the next sentence and then go back and have a vote on that. And this is what goes on for hours and hours and hours at, at Libertarian Party conventions. Most of it is incredibly, uh, incredibly dry and unexciting. <laughs> and that's just the truth. So I don't spend that much time on, on the business stuff. I let people that that are more passionate about that end of things do that and tell me when they need my help or when they, or, or the, what have you. Um, but what I really like to do with these things is, is meet people and just kind of get a vibe and a sense of, of what's going on and, and the feelings in the room. So, um, if you want to really focus, well, there was two real main focuses of this convention that outside of just California state party business, which I won't bore you with. Uh, but the, the main things are who's going to be the national chair and who's going to be the presidential candidate. I'll, I'll obviously one of those draws a little more attention than the other. Uh, but what they, one thing I want to speak to as well, I mean, Michael Pickens is at, at this convention because he's working on the campaign of Mark Whitney. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about him in a bit. Uh, but he mentioned that when he first attended a California state convention, I believe it was 10 years ago uh, in 2010 for the Libertarian Party because he used to live in the state. He said there was 40 people, 40 people at the state convention. That is the state convention. And and I can say there was far more than 40 people here this year. I think there was 190 people, not all of which were at the convention, but 190 people alone applying to be delegates. Uh, a large portion of those people oh, wow. were at the convention. And then there were several hundred other people at the convention as well. So I don't have an exact number, but it was far more than the 40 that attended just 10 years ago. So I think that alone shows a lot of growth in the Libertarian Party, or at least an interest in in the shape of the party is in. I mean, I don't know. Numbers can change. Membership numbers can change. And that's one metric to look at. But another metric is really just who shows up, who shows up at, at local Libertarian events, who shows up at actual party conventions. I think that tells you a lot more about the interest in the party and the interest and the, the direction it's going than, than anything else. Um, and. Right. Let's see. Where do we want to take this? Do you want, do you want to talk about the chair stuff, the presidential stuff? I'll, I'll let you host it. Well, yeah, I'll say, you know, it's funny when you have two libertarian podcast hosts, that, you know, interviewing each other, um, which I did have the benefit of, of having the experience to be on Lines of Liberty. I got to roar. That was always fun, too. Um, but how always about this? Let's, <laughs> let's start with the, the chair race. So obviously, um, you know, Nick Sarwark, uh, he's been chair now for, I think, two terms um, and coming up would be his third. I don't think he's officially announced. Is he? Has he yet? Mark, they he, he, not only has he not officially announced, I mean, he hasn't announced one way or another. Right. But at this stage in the game, I got it. I kind of don't think he is running. 
Right. So, um, like, that, so that's really, the feeling I get. So, I mean, obviously, with that being said, now you have a big void. Um, it's kind of like you know Obama leaving in two thousand and sixteen. Like now, you, it's you know fair game. Either party. You just, can, a, you just compared Nick to Barack Obama. I'm not going to say anything there. I'm just going to let. I'm just going to say it for the record. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to say he did say <laughs> that he would support Dick Cheney. I get it. As a libertarian, but I, well, let, we're not gonna we're not gonna go that down that route. But uh, <laughs> um, so let's let's say so we have Josh Smith um, who's running to be the the LP chair, and then honestly, I, I'm not sure really who's who's left. I, I know Todd Hagopian uh, had been get, uh, considered uh, to to run, but he, he ended up dropping out a few weeks after he announced, um, and he's focusing on running for school board. Um, is there anybody else I'm I'm really missing that that are running for LP chair? What happened to Todd? I saw he went on your show and then suddenly he wasn't running anymore. Is, there, is that a coincidence? Death, I, I, you know, <laughs> it was actually after I gave him his official endorsement, too. So, I mean, I'm just going to say that for whatever, for whatever it's worth. I actually I think I endorsed Josh last time, too, and he, he lost the election, too. So, yeah, don't don't get endorsed by Brian Nichols. Well, Todd did uh, take his his Twitter following and endorsed Josh Smith himself uh, after his uh, quick three. Oh, I think Todd ran for three weeks. Yeah, so I think he did that this past week. Okay, uh, endorsing Josh Smith. So uh, it's it's interesting because before last time when it was Josh uh, running against Nick, essentially. Uh, it was really all about ideology. It was really all about the direction we're going to take the party. It was about Bill Weld. You know, it was about right. your yeah. opinion on someone. Should someone like Bill Weld be leading the party? Um, should should the party be taking a a a left libertarian stance on things? Should it be taking a right libertarian stance on things? Should it allow uh, conversations about socialism? Should it focus on property rights? This is really what the entire chair debate was based around last time. So and maybe that's because there was no presidential debate to focus the ideas around. Maybe this is just a reflection of the party and the, the kind of disputes that go on within it. Um, but <laughs> it was sad. interesting. It was interesting to see the debate not be focused around that stuff. It was really just about the, what the chairmanship is and, and how the chair should should run business. It was actually uh, kind of refreshing, maybe not as exciting, you know, but it was refreshing to see the chair debate be about the function of the chair. So, uh, so, so yeah, yeah, been, so who, who is it? Is, yeah, Josh and, and who else is running for, uh, for chair? So yeah, you got Joshua Smith is running again uh, after getting, I think, 24% of the vote last time. Um, and then you have Joe Bishop Henchman. Hen- <clears throat> sorry, Joe Bishop Henchman, who's been on the LNC. I believe he was elected as an at-large two years ago. And then he was a really big factor in balancing the budget um, this past year or maybe the year before. And then you have Mike Shipley, who's been very, uh, very active in the party in various, various caucuses. He's part of the Socialist Caucus. Uh, he's part of Outright Libertarians. And uh, he has a lot of, I guess, organizing, I, I think, kind of organizing experience sort of more on the local level. Gotcha. Um, so it, it's really, it was those three on stage. Um, I think the final straw poll, Joe actually, I don't have the numbers in front of me, uh, but Joe did win that straw poll by not a huge margin. I, th- I think like by like 10 votes or so over Josh and uh, Mike was a fairly distant third. Gotcha. Uh, I, w- I will say um, just in far- as far as presentation goes, I mean, I thought Josh was very commanding in his, in his debate performance. He really seemed much more confident than two years ago. Okay. He didn't have a lot of debating experience two years ago, and uh, he had really solid answers about what he wants to see the direction of the party take. Uh, I thought Joe was very impressive as well. I, I think that the main difference between Todd, uh, between, I should say between Joshua and Joe, uh, is that you know, Josh is real more, more big picture. He's more about deferring to other people. I mean, a lot of questions that would come up, and I, I don't see this stuff as a cop because it's the truth of what the chair is going to be. Uh, they'll ask him something about the budget, and he's and he says, you know, this isn't necessarily my area. I can explain to you what a balance sheet is, but you know, 
if I'm chair, the budget is going to be handled by the secretaries. Right. These decisions are going to be made in, in a group setting by the LNC, by the regional representatives. And I'll be a part of that, but I'm not going to be doing it, you know, because yeah. that's not the role, simply not the role of the chair. And then, uh, I mean, Joe, Joe would say things like that as well, but he, he would really focus more on his own organizational ability. Uh, I believe he's read, led s several political organizations. I don't have his full resume in front of me right now because I'm not interviewing him just yet. But uh, he really his his real thing was touting his experience and his experience where when it comes to organizations and when it comes to budgets and and okay. his own experience on the LSC itself. While Mike, I think his big thing is that um, is that the Libertarian Party should be a bottom up organization, and that's really every answer he really spun into that in some way or another. Um, he, he really wants more, more power at the lowest, lowest levels of things. And he really does, but which I think hindered his answers in the debate a little bit because I don't know, it was, it was a little bit different than the way Josh would answer. I mean, Josh did have some, some actual answers for things he wanted to do in terms of directions of the party, um, in terms of recruitment and that sort of thing. And Mike would really very much always defer to, well, this is for the people underneath me to tell, to tell me this is for the lower levels. And I, I think hmm. in a sense that, that I think that is actually the correct strategy or the correct Outlook. I actually agree with Mike's overall outlook of the Libertarian Party. But when you're running for chair, I think you need to have a little more, little more of a vision of some sort. Because otherwise, why even have a chairmanship if there's just nothing for them to do at all? Right. Um, so I think, and for, and just presentation-wise, I mean, I, I don't, I don't care personally. But Mike has a mohawk and's wearing an army jacket on stage, and the other two guys were in suits. So presentation-wise, <laughs> uh, when you're presenting yourself as the chairman of the party, I think the, yeah, I think dressing in a suit and looking professional is going to. Uh, going to make you come across better. So I think that's the reason that, uh, you know, it was Joe and Joshua were the top two and they were fairly close while Mike was a distant third. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again, like nobody's gonna take the Libertarian Party seriously until it's taking it, taking itself seriously. And I mean, honestly, that, that comes with looking the part. I mean, yeah, we can say we're, we're, we're an alternative party. We're not like the traditional two parties, but like people are looking for some form of credibility. And like, if you have somebody who's in an army jacket or the Mohawk, they're just, the average person's not going to take that seriously. So at the very least, like we have to have someone who can sure, look and, and I don't care. I don't care at all. I would actually take, I take, I take him seriously when he talks, you know, I, I, I could care less, but I can also... I can have that caring less myself while also recognizing the reality that a lot of people out there are going to care and they're not going to listen to anything he says, at, you know, once because they can't get past the image. Right. And I don't think libertarians should change their image entirely uh, to, to give the message. But it's the reality of, of running for a national position of a national political party. Right. And well, then that's a perfect segue into, you know, looking at the presidential um, election and obviously that, that nomination process, you, you have somebody like a vermin supreme who quite literally is the caricature that many people think of when they think of libertarians with the boot in the head and, and giving magical ponies. Uh, but then you have, you know, former governors like uh, Lincoln Chafee, obviously Jacob Hornberger, who I had the show back a few episodes ago. Um, and, you know, Joe Jorgensen's announced, um, I, you know, I, she's Adam Kokesh. So there's a, a variety of people who are also seeking the uh, the nomination uh, to be the Libertarian Party, you know, presidential candidate. So kind of what's what's the, uh, the 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 feeling around you know where you were obviously in California might be different than across the states, but kind of like what's the, it seemed like the 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 or is going into you know the, the California uh, just I guess did they have a debate? Is that what they first did a debate or? Yeah, there was a debate, and then there was also so there was a <clears throat> similar to at the Libertarian National Convention. Uh, prior to the de debate and the days prior, all the candidates are sort of uh, you know politicking and right, and whipping okay. votes uh, because they want to get tokens that get them into the debate. So everyone that's every delegate, which I was a delegate, gets five five tokens essentially. So you can give one of those tokens to each of of one of any of these candidates, and there was probably. Oh, physically present. I think there was like maybe ten or twelve candidates running for we president. Have that many there, candidates. Wow. Oh, there's more than that. There's <laughs> oh, every, every day. 
I, when I when I gave my talk, um, the, I opened the talk up to questions, and the second young lady who came up to question for questions, uh, her name was Serene. She was really nice. She actually gave her a great two minute talk that uh, that actually won my girlfriend over a little bit on, on libertarianism. So I mean, there's a there's a different approach for everybody. Wait, uh, Serene? She, oh, Serene. I think she's coming on my show soon. Um, actually, oh, yeah. Uh, but. Her last name is escaping me, but yeah, she she actually uh, her PR person reached out to me, so yeah, I, I forgot about her as well. She's yeah. a, I, it seems like there's a lot. I, of I only running. bring her up because because I never heard of her until that moment. I'm like, oh, she's, <laughs> she's like, I, I'm Serena, I'm running for president. I'm like, okay, I mean, it's just there was I think I think there was another guy I had only heard about that that weekend as well. Uh, so it's it's really fascinating how many people are actually running. And Arvin Vora, I know he posted on, on on Facebook that he was not attending because of this policy because not everybody is going to be allowed to debate. Um, and I I see both sides of that. I mean, I want to hear from everybody. But also, this is a two-hour debate with six people. I can't imagine how we would do a, a oh 12 God. or 13 or 14-person no. debate. Um, so there, I think there has to be some kind of system for deciding who gets into it. Because, uh, I mean, you, otherwise, what you, you could have 20 people showing up and just saying I'm running for president and then just to promote their book or their podcast. Right. You know, I can, yep. just, I can go up there and debate just so I can you know, plug Lions of Liberty every two minutes. There has <laughs> to be some system. I, I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying this system is the fair one or the just one, but I don't know. There has to be some way to do it. But regardless, this was the system in place. And the result was uh, a field of six candidates on that stage. So the six that made the stage were Jacob Hornberger, Adam Kokesh, Vermin Supreme, uh, Mark Whitney. Uh, let's see, Joe Jorgensen and, oh, and Lincoln Chafee. <laughs> and it's oh, okay. funny that I almost forgot about Lincoln Chafee <laughs> because I mean, no joke. He was the most forgettable person on that stage. Really? And I'm not I'm not saying that to knock the guy. Uh, I, I'm just saying I'm just, you know, I'm giving the truthful analysis because that's why I'm here. Uh, but he seemed I wouldn't say uncomfortable because obviously he's a seasoned politician. But just when when giving answers, everyone else seemed very confident. Just I'm just I'm, I'm not even talking about the words. I'm talking just about speech patterns here. Um, and and he really felt shaky on a lot of his answers. Again, mm. not not even talking about to the content, but just a lot of just. You know, uh, he really lacked the confidence that you'd want to see from a presidential candidate, from someone that that is going to be the national figure head of your party. Well, it's, like, um, it's a new world for him. I mean, honestly, he's never really had to live in the libertarian world. And I mean, it's sure. I don't think I have to tell you this, Mark, but like the the LP, when you compare it to like the GOP or the Democrats, like it is a it's a different animal. I mean, the people are different. The the policies and procedures are different. I mean, the, the entire philosophy is different because you go from, you know, instead of this like kind of, you know, this mentality of Republican versus Democrat. Now it's state versus you know Liberty and, and right. you, it's like a paradigm shift. So, I mean, for him, he's probably taking a step into a brand new world. He's never really, you know, experienced and, and really has immersed himself in. So it's like, it really is a, a first step and he's, I, I'm sure he's trying to learn a lot, but it's probably like drinking through a fire hose. Right. And it's quite, quite fascinating to see him up there on stage next to Vermin Supreme. They, they were next, <laughs> they were next to each other. So that, that had to be quite, quite a, uh, quite a, quite an interesting time for him <laughs> to, to be there next to Vermin Supreme, who, who was really interesting to me. He's really fascinating to be probably the most fascinating person on stage because he seemed to kind of weave in and out of the character of Vermin Supreme and of the actual human being who really does have some serious ideals. And I got to interview Vermin Supreme uh, later in the day. This is actually well after midnight. So he was, you know, we, everybody might've been a little under the influence at that point, but, uh, he really told me, and this was a, in a bonus show that I did our Patreons, they get first access to all of our exclusive content. So if you're a patron of Lions Liberty, you can listen to this right now. Other people, uh, just come, come check back because <laughs> I'll, I'll be putting, I'll be putting a lot of these interviews together as a future podcast, uh, probably for this coming uh, Monday. But, but I had an interview with Vimmer Supreme and he talked about his anarchist roots. He described himself as an anarchist and he talked about how he used to, uh, when he was growing up, he used to go to these, or when he was a young man, he went to these things called rainbow gatherings 
gathering. So these big events that are out in the woods, uh, they're unauthorized. There's no licensing. People are cooking, uh, cooking and camping, and uh, they work with the local police too. I mean, in the sense that um, they would have people that would come out and greet the police and and sort of uh, take up their time while they had time to tell people to hide whatever they had to hide or what have you, and also sort of you know sort of just be the the liaison between the police and the the campers. And he would he would do that, uh, and he would use a lot of humor and a lot of the things that he was learning in his humor to deal with the police and to to like you know sort of entertain them and, and will himself towards them while they were sort of on their way to sort of bust this place up or or investigate or whatever they're going to do and uh, it was really fascinating because it's a side of Vermin Supreme I'd never seen before I never actually talked heard him talk about his actual personal anarchist beliefs and uh, he really is a true anarchist uh, in, in that sense um, I, I you know I don't know if he's a uh, quote unquote Rothbardian anarcho capitalist in that sense but um, from from his point of view he certainly sees himself as an anarchist and that is the first time I've really heard the person the non character of Vermin Supreme uh, you know describe himself that way so I thought that was really fascinating and uh, as I was saying he kind of weaves in and out of the, of the personality the character of Vermin Supreme with the actual candidate because he, he I mean he he presents himself as being in on the joke. You know, he says, look, I'm providing the Libertarian Party an opportunity to use my skills, my skills as an entertainer, as a satirist, as a political right. satirist, to try to bring more people in. And I did actually meet one person at the Libertarian Party at a convention who was there, who was a fan of Vermin Supreme. He came there because of Vermin Supreme. He's not a libertarian. He's a Democrat socialist. But he was at this Libertarian Party convention because of Vermin Supreme and because I guess his roommate was a libertarian and going to the convention. So he just kind of tagged along. But he was standing there with uh, with Adam Kokesh's book, Freedom, and said he planned to go home and read it. So, I mean, there's some credence. I'm not saying he should be the nominee, but there's something to the idea that someone really entertaining can bring people from all different walks of life and bring them in. And, you know, who knows what's going to send people down that path. And that is what I talked about in the, in the speech I gave. I gave so many different examples of different ways people came down the path to the ideas of liberty because I really wanted to show that you can come from anywhere. It doesn't matter where you came from and you can reach people anywhere. And that's why we have to be passionate advocates for whatever we do in life, wherever we normally go in life or don't normally go. Just always be this passionate advocate for the ideas of liberty because these ideas are infectious and you you might find allies and people that are willing to listen in places you don't even realize. Uh, that's why you just got to do a full frontal assault and sort of <laughs> always be be spraying the liberty everywhere you go. Always be uh, roaring. I guess that, that's an expression: spraying the liberty everywhere you go. But uh, but you uh, you mentioned like entertainment and the, the value of entertainment. I mean, look, one look no further than Trump. I mean, Trump is yeah. at, at his core an entertainer, and I mean, one can't help but sit there and when he's doing his speeches, just can't. He, he, you have to laugh. I mean, some of the stuff he says is, is outrageous and is funny, and and like he just he, he comes across entertaining, and that's. Honestly, why I think Trump is he's done so well in, in you know, number one, he's, he's he's reaffirming his base. He's he's bringing new people into the movement. I mean, I'm hearing a lot of, you know, self-proclaimed libertarians saying, you know, that, yeah, I'm entertaining the idea of voting for Trump. And it's like, OK, you know, this is a conversation that's actually happening. Um, but now we have the Libertarian Party right now who, who has a chance to, you know, try and be honestly a, an alternative now. Will will we have electoral success? I'd say probably not as well as we did last uh, last election cycle, and that's obviously because now it's you know what we the devil we know versus the devil well do we know or don't know in a, whatever the Democrats are going to present. Um, but people are seeing what Trump is now, and if people had some reservations on Trump, then you know he had the chance to either you know help you know qualm those fears, or you know he maybe showed yeah you should have been concerned about certain areas. And I think he's he's brought in a different group of people who now look at him a little bit more credit like in in terms of his actual governing with a little bit more credibility. Um, 
Um, so now the Libertarian Party has a chance to just, at the very least, be an alternative voice. And I think maybe use this as a chance to show like what it means to be a Libertarian. So with that being said, I guess, what's kind of your perspective, Mark, being, you know, a delegate over in California and also, you know, just seeing kind of, you, you talk to everybody just like I do, you know, hearing the different, you know, people across the United States and kind of giving their perspectives. Who do you think the Libertarians are, are going to, you know, go ahead and turn to, to be that person, you know, carrying the mantle forward in 2020 and truly be a Libertarian voice? Well, it's a tough question. I don't, I'm not going to write Lincoln Chafee off because I think he is going to have a lot of support when it comes to the convention. I think he's going to have a lot of people there that want to see him uh, as the head of the party for the same reason, not the head of the party, but the uh, as the presidential nominee for the same reason they wanted Gary Johnson, Bill Weld, Bob Barr, uh, just because of the credibility. I mean, that's simply just because he had held office before and done this before. A lot of, There are a lot of people that do like that kind of nominee, so I think he'll have support. But I, I, his support, the, the lack of support, even in California, was surprising to me. Um, the fact that he got fifth in the post-debate straw poll was pretty surprising to me, and it showed me that that room was a lot more full of I don't want to uh, say there's a thing called real libertarians, but maybe maybe more <laughs> hardcore libertarians, maybe more libertarians that are more concerned with a message because J- Jacob Hornberger, I mean, came in a very strong first. Not only was he in first place, he was d- double his the second place, which is Adam Kokesh, who also was delivering a very hardcore message. Um, and I, I think Adam had a really great convention. I mean, he came across excellent in the debate. I, I think he's going to, uh, I don't know if he'll win the nomination, but I think he's going to be in it to the end. I was going to say, be, side note, I, I've heard him on some podcasts recently, and he's, he sounds good. I mean, he, he he's coming across much more reasonable than I would say he did you know, even a short two years ago when he was on my show. I mean, I'm hearing a different version of Adam that I haven't heard before, so sure. it, it's, it's good to hear at least. And he and he's doing that without changing his message. I mean, he wrote right. the book Freedom eight years ago, I think, and he's saying the exact same things that are in that book. But he certainly comes apo- across as as very refined in his message, very refined in what he's trying to say and in what he's trying to deliver. I mean, he and he described what he wants in a very interesting way to me. And again, another interview I did for Patreon. This will be out, um, you know, next week as part of the the convention show that I'll be putting together. But uh, he described how look, there's 22 million government. I think it was 22 million government employees um, in oh, the country. Yeah. At, at all levels, federal government's only three of them. So his platform of dissolving the federal government is actually quite moderate for a libertarian who doesn't want government. Uh, <laughs> yeah. For people, for people like as a response to people that are you know saying, I, I basically you're not willing to at least eliminate one out of eight government employees. Then why are you even running for the Libertarian Party nomination? What are, what are we even doing here as a party right. if we're not willing to eliminate one eighth of the government? So uh, it was a really interesting way that he put that, and I think he does have a really interesting way of pitch to liberty. He says it's not really about the issues. He's taking a really different look and a different approach to the entire process and by basically pointing to one thing, dissolving the federal government, keeping everything local and ethical. Uh, So we don't need to argue about gun control because gun control is just about private property. So get everything down to that community property level and then we don't need to have a 40, you know, a, a three hour debate about gun control because we because we all agree on the same issue that should be decided locally and ethically. And he applies that same thing to every single issue. So I think Adam is going to uh, stay in the race. Uh, I, don't, I mean, again, to me, this it really it felt at least just a California. It felt like Hornburgers to to lose uh, at this point. But that's just that's just one convention, of course. But um, there were a lot of people that he that are really taking him seriously. And it's hard not to when you hear him speak. I mean, he's got amazing answers to every single question. Yes, uh, he the kind of person that you're gonna, I'm gonna want to send my friend to to hear the libertarian answer on something. I mean, he really is just able to break everything down in a principled way and can speak to different segments of the population. I mean, he went out in the black community uh, in North Carolina and got a great response because he was out there talking about criminal justice reform. Um, he got a great response to them 
because they were bringing issues to him, like licensing. Like, why why do we have, need all this licensing? Um, and he went to, he would go around to really poor areas and develop a new constituency. And I think that's the most important thing the Libertarian Party can do. Again, this is something I talked about in my speech. We can't we're not going to get anything done unless we get a lot more libertarians. We need to turn people into libertarians. We need to go and find people, find people that are already passionate, already passionate about politics or passionate about certain issues. Find them and say, hey, we're here. We agree with you on this. We're the, we're, we're the consistent ones. We're the principled ones. Come join us or at least come agree with us on this one issue. Build a mini coalition with us on this one issue. And then maybe we can debate the other stuff down the road. But I think reaching out and finding new people is the most important thing libertarians can be doing. And the more I hear from Jacob, I mean, it really seems like he's he's really able to do that. Uh, so if right. he's able to get the Form nationally. I mean, I've, I have a lot of confidence that he would put libertarians in a really good good light. And I think a lot of the other candidates, uh, one guy I do have to mention as well, and I, I want to mention Joe Jorgensen because she was also the, the sixth one in, in the debate. And um, but I'll be honest, I had never heard from her before, and she didn't blow me away. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else to say. She seems like a very nice lady. She continue, continually referred to uh, the LP platform, uh, wanting to have an educational campaign, but I never really heard too much in terms of her actual messaging. So uh, I, I hate to say she didn't leave a huge impression on me i'd like to hear more from her but in this particular debate she didn't well you, you, and you, the will, hear, you will hear more from her because she's actually gonna be on my show i think tomorrow um so <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm gonna be asking her some questions too and there's something to be said i mean this debate format i mean is really difficult to get who you are across in two minute sound bites so i mean that that's why i do the interviews i do because i was i was sick of hearing sound bites i wanted to hear people's <laughs> right. full drawn out thoughts so i do look forward to hearing more from her uh but she didn't make it it seemed to make much an impact at this convention although she did get into the debate you know so she did enough work on the ground she convinced enough people in person that she was deserving to, to go speak because she made that cut. Um, and then we have Mark Whitney, who was just interviewed on Felony Friday. I also got to uh, speak with him after the convention. And uh, he's really interesting one to watch. He only got in the race about a month ago. Uh, but this is a guy who's really been successful in real life. And he also has some libertarian street cred in, in a couple different ways. Uh, he went to jail for tax evasion because he took the advice of Erwin Schiff. Uh, he actually was in jail with Erwin Schiff, which is just an amazing story that you can hear on Felony Friday. I really recommend listening to that episode. Uh, and he also sued President Obama for bombing Libya. He's been doing libertarian things out there in life for a long time and actually been involved in the party for a long time. He just wasn't really known on the national stage until now. But um, he's really not wasted any time. Um, in getting into the race and getting involved. I think he put something like $60,000 of his own money into it, which was enough in the Libertarian Party. That's enough to be called the Bloomberg of the Libertarian Party, which is, <laughs> which is uh, kind of sad, but that is the question Matt Welch asked him at the debate. He he said, some are sort of calling you the Bloomberg of the Libertarian Party. I mean, that's for putting in $60,000. <laughs> that's, that's what makes you a billionaire to, to Libertarians, apparently. Um, but yeah, he's put together a really strong team of some of the most well-known Libertarian Party activists I know. He's got Michael Pickens, he's got Boomer Shannon, he's got Aaron Adams all on his team. And these are people that know the Libertarian Party inside and out and out and know different factions of the Libertarian Party inside and out. And he got third in the pre-debate poll. I think he got fourth or fifth in the post-debate poll. Uh, but again, he was able to make uh, become th get third in the, in the pre-debate poll that got him into the debate. Um, simply by his networking, his connections, and his charisma. I mean, the guy is really charismatic. You meet him in person and you start thinking, okay, I can picture this guy on a, a debate stage. I can picture this guy holding his own with a Donald Trump uh, or whoever the Democrats throw up. I mean, uh, he's very comfortable on stage. He's a stand-up comedian. He has like an hour-long special. Um, so he he really is very comfortable in the entertainment side of things. Um, I think his, his biggest weakness on the debate stage and why he didn't, you know, sweep the vote. Uh, I think his personality is great, but I think he comes across a little too sticky in some sense, and he isn't really 
he isn't really laying in the home runs with the actual hitting the actual philosophical talking points that a lot of libertarians out there want to hear. They're, they're not getting that red meat from him like they're getting from Jacob Hornberger and from Adam Kokesh. You know, that that yummy, yummy anarchist meat to just take a bite out of. You're not getting that kind of talk from Mark Whitney. Uh, but he certainly is a great communicator. He's really funny, has a great personality. And I think he's going to be really interesting to watch. I mean, I think he's de- he's definitely going to be there uh, in, in the end of the race. You, you, a lot of people haven't heard of him right, right now, but a month, two months from now, by the time we get to convention, I think he's going to be considered one of the top contenders. Awesome. So what, what do you think, I guess, Mark, asking you this as we wrap up here, kind of what's your gut feeling? So let's look at the chairman race and then look at the um, the LP um, presidential nominee. You know, who do you think is going to, I guess, take the, the cake for both those uh, those respective races? Yeah, I got to be careful here because I'm still going to interview a lot of these people I down know. the road. <laughs> but just um, for fun, I, come on. I, I do think that I, I think it's going to be really close between Josh and Joe. Um, I, and I really, I'm really not sure how, how to call that because I think Josh is going to do better than last year. I think his last two years of work in the party have really, uh, given him a lot of credibility. He's really showed that he's not just, he's not just talk. He's done a lot of work, uh, both with his County party, his state party, the LNC, um, Whereas Joe has also done a lot of work on the LNC and he and he has really built a name for himself within the party and he really has an incredible resume for this sort of thing. But if it was and honestly, if it was just resume, Joe's got it. I mean, Joe's got the resume. There's no doubt about it. Um, but there's more to these things than that, as, as we know. So I, but I do think it's going to be very close between Josh and Joe. If Nick runs again, that changes everything. Um, I'm not really sure if everybody who's in it now stays in if Nick runs again. So that obviously changed the whole dynamic. I will say if Nick runs he probably wins i i think that's just going to be true regardless um because i think he's he's just sort of too established and trusted as the, as the chair to be outed that's just kind of my gut feeling i do think it would be a lot closer race with josh though uh, than last time i do think that if nick ran um but right now i, I think it's too i'm going to call it too close to call between josh and joe all right, man. Well, listen, it's, it's always a blast to have you on the show and always get your perspective. And obviously, um, you know, definitely want to point folks uh, over to all the great things you're doing over at Lines of Liberty. So where can folks go ahead and follow you on social media, but also uh, stay up to date with all the happenings over at Lines of Liberty? Sure. Well, everyone knows how the internet works out there. Your fans are smart, so I'm sure they can find us. But, you know, all the way, <laughs> everywhere podcasts are found, uh, Apple, Stitcher, we're on Spotify. You can just yell at Alexa to play Lions Liberty, and, and I think she'll do it. Tune in radio. I think you might have to tell her that. But, yeah, you can find us everywhere. You can follow us on Twitter at Lions of Liberty, Facebook, Facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty. You can follow me on Twitter at Mark, Mark with a C, very important, at Mark D. Claire, C-L-A-I-R. Uh, and of course, if you want to send us money, you can always go to Patreon and become one of the many, many mem- members of the Lions of Liberty Pride and get all that bonus content that I've been mentioning today. All these interviews I did with uh, Vermin Supreme, Mark Whitney, Adam Kokesh. We even got Jacob Hornberg- Hornberger to hop on for like 20 minutes. That stuff is already available to our patrons. I got up. I was tired on Monday. I didn't feel like doing anything, but I uploaded all that audio because I care about those patrons and I care about the non-paying people as well, which is why they will also get those <laughs> interviews uh, next week. But if you want to hear them now, you can do it patreon.com slash lions of liberty and uh, i think that's all i gotta plug jacob homeburger that sounds like a fun name jacob homeburger i know i know i know it was a slip but it still made me laugh it was good though (laughs) (laughs) awesome man well listen mark it's always a blast talking to you thank you again for all your all the work you're doing there keep on roaring and uh looking forward to talking to you in the future 
Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. All right, folks. So that's going to do it for my conversation with the one and only Mark Claire from Lions of Liberty. Uh, be sure to check out uh, Mark as well as the uh, the rest of fun, loving folks over at Lions of Liberty. Um, John and Brian do also do great work with uh, with their podcasts um, on the network as well. Uh, so please do me a favor and give them a subscribe and, and make sure you, you let them know that Brian Nichols from the Brian Nichols Show sent you. And, and I'm going to say right now, we are libertarians. We love the Lions of Liberty guys. Um, and, and honestly, I'm so looking forward to, uh, you know, many collaborations to come in the future. So, uh, so guys, Guys, if you enjoyed today's episode, as always, you know the drill. Do me a favor. Share with family and friends. Um, go ahead and tag me on social media on Twitter at B Nichols Liberty and also at B Nichols Liberty over on Facebook. Twitter is definitely where you're going to go ahead and get to uh, to know me, get to see my uh, my more witty, whimsical side, if you can never say I have that, um, but also get to look a little more of a political commentary and insight um, that I offer over there. Um, and guys, if you could also do me a favor, head over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever the hell it's called now, and give me a five-star rating and review for The Brian Nichols Show, but also for The Big channel at we are libertarians we we were in the top five which is incredible for news and commentary on apple podcasts as a network which i mean that's only done and made possible because of you guys because you guys have done such a phenomenal job going out of your way to show your love and support to uh, to independent media like uh, what we have here the brian nichols show and, and again a part of the greater we are libertarians network and dear leader chris spengel actually made a really interesting post over on facebook i believe it was facebook linkedin it was some social media site and more or less the the message was if you enjoy independent media, then help keep them independent. And that means whatever you guys can do to help support not only the Brian Nichols show, but the, you know, just independent media in general. Um, for the Brian Nichols show, you can go ahead and do a one-time PayPal donation, uh, which I'll include the link in the show notes, or you can go to the Patreon at B Nichols Liberty. Um, or guys, if you want to support the, the big channel, the We Are Libertarians uh, network is actually doing an entire uh, brand new rebrand. Um, so I'll be sure to include the, uh, the Patreon link uh, for We Are Libertarians in the show notes as well. And, and guys, anything you, you support uh, in terms of financial uh, contributions to The Brian Nichols Show, We Are Libertarians, it goes right back into the show. And your support allows us to start to grow, reach new people, reach advertisers. And honestly, what's the main goal? To reach more people and spread the message of liberty. So you guys are an instrumental part of us being able to accomplish that mission. So I, I, I genuinely, 100% want to thank you for all that. And I am preemptively thanking you for all the support you guys are going to be offering as we move forward to a very, very, very busy election season here in 2020. So guys, it was a blast. And as always, speaking to Mark Claire, it's always fun. Um, so with that being said, guys, thank you so much for joining us here on The Brian Nichols Show. So signing off for good friend Mark Claire here on The Brian Nichols Show. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.